Victory in the, the symbolic, the symbolic. You're gonna be yellow jersey, yeah. Mathieu. I have no words. Really, uh, I don't know what to say. You want to stay on the Tour de France? Uh, can you talk to us about about the way you want it? Because you went to go get that, that those bonus seconds at the top of the first climb. You went to get the victory as well. I mean, you wanted this one so much. Yeah, for sure. Um, I gambled a little bit and I played everything I got the first time already because I knew I needed the bonus seconds if I wanted a jersey and it was also my last chance to uh, to get the yellow jersey so it's incredible. Who was you, who were you thinking of when you crossed the line? Yeah, my granddad of course. <laughs> We are back to talk about stage two of the Tour de France. This is the Cycling Tips podcast. What you just heard was Matthew Vanderpool's interview after the finish of the stage. But before we dive into that, I'm Abby Mickey. With me is, as always, Kaylee Fretz. Hello. Dane Cash. Hello. Shoddy David Everett. Hello. Ronan McLaughlin. Ah, David Everett. <laughs> That's how they say it here every day when I'm down the calf. Been waiting all day to say that. He made that joke this morning, so he's literally been waiting all day to say that. Worthwhile. It was worth the wait. And before we talk about today's stage, we've got Shoddy back. Shoddy, can you tell us about Continental? I certainly can. Did you know that 2021 marks Continental's 150th anniversary? That's right. The business was started way back in 1871 in Hanover, Germany. Through the years, Conti has seen many changes, including shifting to Corba in 1907. But one thing has remained the same in all that time. Our tyres, or their tyres, are handmade in Germany. In fact, if you look carefully at their tyres and packaging, you will see that statement. So, you know that every Conti tyre has been meticulously prepared for your best ride. Whether you're a pro riding the tour or commuter riding to work, you're riding tyres that have been made just for you. Not too bad, eh? Not too shoddy? Not, yeah, not too shoddy, yeah. Far from shoddy. <laughs> so thank you so much to Continental for sponsoring this episode. And let's get into stage two of the Tour de France. We had a stage, thankfully a little bit less eventful in like the negative way like yesterday, but quite an eventful finish with Matthew Vanderpool taking the stage victory and the yellow jersey. So first and foremost, Kaylee was wrong, a thing I love when it happens i think we were all wrong were we all wrong i think we all all of us said okay yeah all philippe he's pretty well suited to the rest of this week he's gonna be fine you know he'll get through the tt he'll probably have the yellow jersey for like seven days and of course we were completely wrong because he lost the yellow jersey the very next day the the vanderpool's ride was incredible right i mean clearly he knew what he was doing they they, they he knew what he needed when he went so they did the, they did laps on the mirror right and they went up the first time and he went and at first i was like wait what is he doing like does he know does he know that the finish isn't at the top this time does he know that he has to go around again and then it, 
occurred to me that, of course, there are time bonus seconds at the top of the mirror the first time, as well as at the finish line. And he knew that he needed both to take yellow today, and he did so. And as we heard in that interview right at the beginning of the show, it was a pretty emotional finish for him. I mean, we're, we're, we're just around a year and a half past the passing of his grandfather, uh, Pulador, and Pupu, and he very much dedicated today's, not just the victory, but the yellow jersey, to his grandfather, to something his grandfather was actually never able to do, snag a yellow jersey in the Tour de France, and it was just a, it was a really emotional finish, and an emotional moment, and I think that part of the reason why we all love professional cycling is is for those moments as much as for the actual racing right i mean the racing is great and we love the excitement we have we love the drama but so many what other sport do you get that kind of in their face cameras in their face you know he's laying on the ground he's crying after the interview that's a pretty unique thing and i, I think that a good reminder of of another reason why we all love 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 this bike race I mean, I definitely teared up watching the interview a little bit. My arms got all goosebumpy. I think it's worth a brief sort of explanation of the importance of Raymond Poulidor uh, to the French cycling public and the French cycling psyche and obviously to Matthew Vanderpoel, who is his grandson. Uh, Poulidor, nicknamed Poupou, P-O-U, P-O-U. That's how the French tend to do nicknames, um, kind of like the Aussies at Y to the uh, end of everyone's first syllable. Poulidor was, what was he? He was second place. Well, they called him the eternal second. He was second place three times, third place five times, including in his final Tour de France when he was 40 years old. He did win his final Grand Tour of his career, the 1964 Vuelta a España, but he was more known as, again, the eternal second. He never wore the yellow jersey. He kept losing to Jacques Anquetil, who was the dominant rider of that era. But despite all of this, the French public just absolutely loved him. They loved him more than they loved Anquetil at the time. And that it, it sort of speaks to the, the, the ultimate underdog story, right? He was the guy who was just so, so close, but not quite there. Uh, you know, imagine if somebody had same rider had come in second to Peter Sagan for the green jersey year after year after year after year, how that would be sort of perceived among the cycling public. You, you'd sort of start cheering for them, right? That's exactly what happened with Raymond Poulidor. And as we mentioned before, Poulidor is Matthew Van Der Poel's grandfather and passed away, I think it was November 2019 is when Poo passed away. Uh, and so this this victory, this yellow jersey, something that Poulidor was never able to attain, was very, very significant as we could see from that interview hear from that interview very significant to Vanderpool, very significant to just sort of i think the french public in general uh kind of kind of closed a circle on the whole thing so that's about as brief a history of Poulidor as i can possibly do there's a couple great books about Poulidor. i think the the one that i enjoyed the most even though my french is relatively garbage it's still uh if you speak any it's kind of easy to get through it's called my golden age and he wrote it along with Pierre Jolie. You can pick it up on like Amazon and stuff like that if you want to read more. It's kind of an autobiographical thing that he wrote with a journalist. Uh, it's a good one. And like I said, Poulidor is just a, a, he's an icon. He's one of the 
sort of top five icons of the entire history of the Tour de France. Uh, and so that's that's what made today's today's victory, today's yellow jersey sort of extra special. We, we mustn't think that he was eternal second at every race because he's got a Milan San Remo to his name for flesh alone, multiple criterium internationals. He was very handy to say the least. But yeah, like you say, he spanned the um, Anker Till Merckx eras. So he had two pretty solid riders to go up to. And if anybody is wanting another good book to read, go and get Anchor Tills. It's ridiculous. It's the first chapter's like um, an episode of, is it Days of Your Lives, Days of Their Lives? Some tacky soap. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Anchor Till had quite a bit going on off the bike. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, that's another good one to pick up. Anyway, let's get on to talking about today's stage. An incredible effort by Matthew Vanderpool, and it was... Followed closely by Pogacar, Roglic, you know, the general classification for the entire race. They were up there yesterday. They're up there again today. So really interesting to see Pogacar taking second on the stage and Roglic taking third on the stage. Yeah, I think that today's stage basically played out as we were expecting both yesterday and today to play out. Uh, Basically completely to plan, right? You've got some relatively small time gaps in there, uh, you know, any GC favorite needed to make sure that they were in that front group. Most of them did today. Thankfully, not a whole lot of uh, big, massive crashes, which was which was helpful. But yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty much as we expected. The first time up the mirror, they split up a little bit, and there were a certain number of riders who just didn't really care about losing time, and so they kind of sat up. But anybody that was near the front, the, 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 the time gaps were not massive. Uh, they were obviously big enough for Vanderpool to to take the yellow jersey, but not not massive. And all those GC favorites that we've been talking about for the last couple of days, pretty much were all right up front, including, as you say, Tadej Pogacar and Primoz Roglic in second and third on the day. Alaphilippe looked a little bit less amazing than he did yesterday, across the line in fifth, and he sort of led that next group across the line at eight seconds back. On the whole, we don't have a ton of... GC movement today. I would say the biggest one that stands out to me is is Garrett Thomas actually lost. Uh, well, he came in 23 seconds down on Vanderpool, so that's 15 seconds down on Roglic and actually 17 seconds down on Roglic and Pogacar, which could turn out to be important by the end of this race. Yeah, I think there actually was quite a bit of GC movement from sort of not the top two riders in the race. Uh, downward movement, not in a good way. But before I say anything else, I want to. There's an important point that I want to make. I'm not the first one to make it. Uh, Ed Pickering from over at Pro Cycling pointed this out, and, uh, and, and it's, it's, it must be talked about. Uh, the village is called Mur de Bretagne. Right. The climb. The climb is just a climb into the village of Mur de Bretagne. I don't think the Mur de Bretagne actually is named for the climb itself. It's not. And so it's not really <laughs> the Mur. And uh, I only learned this basically this morning, and, and, it's, and it's, I feel like the cycling world has to know. We, it's, this is not like the Mur de Huy. I mean, we've been talking about this. We've this exact climb has been used a bunch of times recently in the last what ten years or so. Uh, I don't know. That's as long as I've been covering this race, and so I've been I've been at this climb personally a number of times. I think that really, really, we don't need to be sticklers about this. Can we just call it? Can we just call that climb that? Because no, the, I think we need the whole podcast about it. Actually, <laughs> I don't think we can talk about anything else. <laughs> the. I forget what the actual name is, but nobody uses it, so it's not a useful term anyway. If we actually use the, the name of the, the climb, the Coupe de Menehier, Menehier, yeah, 
Yeah, let's not one. call it that. We're going to call it the Mur- 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 Britannia because that's what it's been called on in the bike race forever. <laughs> I used to live in Pond TV, which is t- tomorrow's stage finish, and everybody around there calls it the Mur, the Mur- It's yeah, it might say something different on the maps, but trust me, everyone around there calls it that. So there we go. We have local knowledge. I know that uh, you know we want to get things right around here, but I think that in this case, it's it's a it's prescriptivism versus descriptivism, right? We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna call it what people call it in general. One one thing I will say is that I have raced up the Mur de Bretagne and after the stage wondered which one of the climbs was the Mur de Bretagne because it's not actually all that standoutish in 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 the area. There's quite a number of climbs very very similar to it that yeah, it's 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 not exactly the Mur de Hoy or something like that. It is tough though. It's ridiculously tough. Like. I, that used to be my old stomping ground, so I, I've been up it more times than I care to remember. And it's, like I said, there's plenty of climbs in the area like that. But what I will say, it's the climb or the descent that I've got my fastest speed coming down ever, 108 kilometres an hour, and that was in mid-race. Uh, but like just seeing his effort up there today, just mind-blowing, like knowing how tough it is, like doing it twice, it's just something else. Vanderbilt today kind of reminded me of Alaphilippe yesterday because Alaphilippe yesterday seemed like he was just on another level entirely. And the fact that Vanderpool was able to attack earlier to get some bonus seconds and then go on the attack again, I mean, just suggests that he was in really great condition. I, I, have, a, I have a thought. You all know that I'm an all believer over here. Uh, what if, what if Julian Alaphilippe is riding for GC this Tour de France and doesn't want to hold on to the yellow jersey? across the entire first week what if because he came and congratulated Vanderpool, which granted you know you can see that happening anyway Vanderpool's a popular rider everyone knows what it meant to him today but still it it, it Philippe didn't look to me given how strong he was yesterday he didn't look to me like he was fully defending today i feel like he could have done more based off his form yesterday, if he really wanted to today. And so, I don't know, I was just sort of sitting back wondering, is this a guy who, who you know, we've talked about this for two, two years now, is he secretly being a little bit more conservative than, than he has in the past, with an eye toward, you know, maybe even bettering his fifth place from before? I, I do think that Alaphilippe is totally interested in, in seeing how far he can go in the GC. I don't think he purposely avoid i think he likes winning too much to do that i mean he likes winning so much that he constantly celebrates before he wins uh even though it's the the worst thing he can possibly do i don't think he's you know uh calculating enough to give up a potential win on a stage that suits him perfectly i mean even yesterday he had his arms up in the air way ahead of the finish line and he knew that the rest of the week was going to come down to seconds potentially potentially even split seconds right and he still put his arms up in the air with 15 meters to go, right? So yes, you you have a point there, Dane. You do have a point. Did also today take a bottle in the final 15 kilometers, having learned a tough lesson last year by taking a bottle late in the stage. So maybe not always, uh, maybe not always thinking absolutely clearly in in the heat of the action. Maybe maybe that's why he put the hands up early yesterday. You've got to wonder what, what stages do stand out for him later on then if he is riding conservatively because mountain stages are climbers that are far superior to him who can take time out of him. There's an old stage that 
realistically he can go off and do what he did in Brittany yesterday. He is, for those curious, as of um, Sunday afternoon after the stage, his like his odds have shortened to... He's like the fifth favorite for the Tour de France right now with the bookies. It's kind of remarkable uh, how quickly people jump on the Alaphilippe bandwagon as soon as he you know, shows some strength in a Grand Tour after that after that impressive Grand Tour performance a few years ago. Meanwhile... Us all believers are a hardy bunch, Dane. We're a hardy bunch. We're, we, we jump you're on quickly. You're a hardy quickly. bunch of money, I think. And, and you're putting it down. And you're putting your money where your mouth is. But meanwhile, the odds for almost everybody else continue to lengthen. I mean, we it just took two stages. We, we talked about Roglic and Pogacar heading into this race and like maybe the Ineos Grenadiers, but they the I mean, it's been a really rough first two stages for Ineos. I think it's hard to overstate I think how bad it's been. Uh yesterday they lost two they lost basically half of their of their quartet of potential kind of long-range attackers. I, I never really bought that uh I really wanted this, but I never really bought the Brailsford because it was going to be all that aggressive. I just don't think I don't think they can actually bring themselves to like put in a long range attack that would ruin their own chances. And now they won't really have the opportunity because it's basically just down to Thomas and Carapaz. Port lost over two minutes on that first stage, and then again today, Port lost more time. And if you were thinking after yesterday, well, Port's maybe still in it. Well, he lost uh, forty two seconds to to Vanderpool today. Uh, I think it's it's just down to Thomas and Carapaz already. And I think most importantly, Carapaz to me looked way better today. Thomas did not look good today. He lost time on a climb he should not lose time on. This climb suits Thomas, and he did not do well. And I think the... I feel like Carpas is 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 at least on equal footing with Thomas right now. And I think Anglophone media kind of dis, discounts Carpas's chances a little bit in a way that... Uh, Maybe it's because he's coming from Movistar. He, we, we, you know, we didn't get a whole lot of information about him before he won his first Grand Tour. But I feel like Anglophone media kind of tends to discount his chances a little bit. And if I'm Dave Brelsford, I see Carpaz, and I'm like, this guy's at least as good as Thomas right now. I mean, we said coming into the race that that there would be sort of secret leaders, right? There, there's a, there's a plan A and a plan B, and I think it was it was clear today when Richie Port was leading up the lower slopes of the Muir, and I'm going to continue to call it the Muir, Dane, when he was leading up the lower slopes of the Muir. It was super obvious that that you know he's now in a super domestic role, right? Already lost two and a half minutes yesterday, ended up losing more time today. I think the fact that Ineos was leading up the bottom of that climb makes Garrett Thomas's time loss even worse, right? He was in perfect position. All he had to do was follow wheels, and he wasn't able to do so. Carapaz was. I think that does that that lends a lot of clarity to what that team is going to have to do. If they do want to overhaul either of the Slovenians, who once again showed that they they really are the 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 they're the favorites by a, a big margin in this tour. And there's really no. I, I'm kind of thinking the Ineos Grenadiers. They they need Carpas to be like they need him to be on another level because without the quartet of potential attackers, I just don't see what the Ineos Grenadiers can do other than hope for a, you know a crash or a, or a mechanical for Roglic and Pogacar because. If you ride a, the traditional Ineos way, you're just playing into the hands of these two riders who have giant engines and who love a selective finish with a strong tempo. So I, I think they, they're going to have to, I mean, Carpass and, and Thomas, too, are both going to have to be in really great form. They're going to have to try something. Speaking of multi-pronged attacks, going from the, the fork, which is now a carving fork, to the trident, the Movistar team also already basically, I don't want to say they're completely out of it, but not a good first two days for the many leaders of the Movistar team, Alejandro Valverde 
Enric Maas, Mark Soler, already out of the race. I think he finished yesterday with a with a broken something, hand, arm. Two broken arms. Yeah, that, I mean, hats off to Mark Soler for, well, for first of all, for making for a great docuseries on Netflix. The guy brings the entertainment. If you haven't watched the, the docuseries on Netflix, Mark Soler, like, he continues to star, and I really like watching him, even if I would not like to be his DS. Uh, but... Yeah, it's been a rough couple of days for Movistar already. They, they're basically not really in contention. Dan Martin and the sort of Israel Startup Nation squad with Mike Woods obviously already out of it. Rigoberto Arana, I feel like, is one of the few, and, and Wilco Kettleman, the other one, one of the few kind of fringe contenders who's still, who basically didn't lose a bunch of time in the first two days. Uh, Kellerman had a great stage today, and uh, Uran was up there as well. So Uran fans can continue to create in Uran's chances um, but yeah, it's, do it. the, the, the list of potential winners is really dwindling without even really having any big mountain stages. I would like to throw in Jock Haig into the list of fringe GC riders at this point. He rode so well at the, the Dauphiné. He was up there in the GC and he finished fourth yesterday and today finished 10th. So he's, he's also floating around up in the GC conversation, which is pretty huge for Jack Haig, the Australian rider. We love an Australian on this podcast. So pretty awesome to see him up there as well. With Gegenhardt already out of it, he's he's carrying the, the standard for us redheads as well. So I'm, I'm really hoping that Jack Haig continues to thrive in this race. Is he leading the redhead classification at this, at this I point? I think he time? is, yeah. yeah. It's like almost as pre- prestigious as the Mayo Sabla. Yeah, you don't even need a jersey. It's already, you can already see it. No, we have no Mayo Sablas yet. Uh, no, but with all of these general classification riders already out of it, the Mayo Sabla competition this year is going to be hot. Currently, Lantern Rouge, Amund Grondal Janssen of Bike Exchange is 29.45 down. So we're not even halfway there yet. Got a ways to go. As the if it's not if it's not Alaphilippe, is Pierre Latour the French hope this year after two top tens and the two? Op- or David Gadu? I think David Gadu yeah, is Gadu. the. I think Gadu is probably it. Although I did pick Pierre Latour today for my Cycling Tips Fantasy, which by the way you can still sign up for in th- I think it's through stage five, so it's not too late. I picked him today because he was the one that was just like dangling. Yesterday, halfway in between the field and Alaphilippe, and I was like, well, he looked pretty good there. Maybe I'll give him a shot today, but didn't do me a whole lot of good, unfortunately. His form looked good, but his kit looked like he just slipped out of a Cat 5 race. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Ooh, shots <laughs> fired. That's a rough one. That's a rough one. Before we get on with our Tour de France coverage of Stage 2, this episode is also brought to you by Sportful. Instead of doing your typical ad read shoddy's been actually riding the stuff so shoddy can you tell us a little bit about sportful wait up a minute i've been riding it up till about three weeks ago when i broke me not broke dislocated my shoulder and i had to have an operation so i'm missing using the new giara jersey and super giara bib shorts i think that's how you say it my italian's not too hot anyway that basically roughly translates as gravel yep it's their new gravel range and i gotta say i've always been a bit of a a bit of a sportful fan you had your mape days and now they're sponsored Bora, of course and i'm a big fan of the pad but this new kit well 
loads of pockets in there all the pockets for all the snacks you've got essential and non-essential freestander rear pockets with an additional three mesh pockets laid over the top stuck yet you can stick your haribo in there your bananas mobile phone gopro whatever then on the shorts you've got two mesh storage pockets which i found a pretty good for sort of throwing your mitts in there when you're climbing or something like that there's subtle reflective details over the uh, jersey shoulder and bib short legs for when you're out and about early morning getting them gravel riding getting away from all the roads and the dodgy drivers and to make them that little bit more should we say bulletproof or gravel proof or tarmac proof you've got an abrasive resistant fabric on the side panels to increase durability. So this is basically for those who push their limits and the traction beneath their tires. Thank you to Sportful for sponsoring this episode. And you can find a link to their gravel collection in the show notes if you want to check it out. Highly recommend it. All right, before we talk a little bit about yesterday and some of the news we had come out of the race after we'd finished recording, Ronan and I were actually on the ground at the start today and got to pull aside a couple riders. So Ronan chatted with Dan Martin, who has previously won on the Murder Britannia about his day and his chances. So let's hear from Dan Martin. Dan Martin, you've won on Murder Britannia before. Um, do you think you have another chance today? And how did you get through yesterday? Yeah, I got through yesterday fine, but that was partly because I felt rubbish, so I sat at the back, you know, so it was, uh, yeah, we'll see how today goes. Obviously, four weeks no racing isn't ideal to come into the Tour de France, but I feel really strong, but just lacking that kind of sensory, sensory skills that you need to race really hard in the peloton, and just lacking a bit of sharpness, but uh, yeah, hopefully legs will feel better today, but head will feel better, and we'll uh, be up to the fight, but yeah, my... We always knew that my race would really start in the Alps, so uh, anything that happens before then is a bonus. So you're sort of on stage hunting, Judy, rather than GC? I was never even thinking of GC, you know, so it's uh, done four grand tours in less than a year, you know, so it's, uh, and also the GC, we looked at the course at the start of the year, the course wasn't a good one for me for GC, so we decided to just go all in for stages from the start. Lastly, do you think it would be any calmer today or will the chaos continue? I mean, there's only two crashes yesterday, one caused by an unfortunate mistake and another one caused by a fan, so... Actually, I was quite surprised how calm it was. It was just uh, there were two huge crashes that obviously brought down a lot of guys. But yeah, there'd be a lot of probably even more nervousness today because of the what happened. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. Thank you. Thanks, man. Ronan flagged down Jan, Jan, Jan Backelands today and was able to ask him about his 2013 Stage 2 win. Kind of interesting the questions you ask when you put on the spot. <laughs> Apparently so. So let's hear from Jan Backelands. Uh, Jan, Jan Backlands, you won the stage two in 2013. Do you think there's any chance of a repeat today? Uh, today will be hard, but uh, yeah, you never know. I tried to be my best to be in the in the break, and uh, yeah, probably it will be a very controlled stage. Um, I hope we see less crash uh, compared to yesterday. Yeah. yeah, with those with the chaos yesterday, you think with a lot of guys losing time yesterday, is there any chance it might be a little bit more calm today, or is it going to be much the same? I think it will be the same. Success, eh? Thank you very much. All right, so before we wrap this episode up, 
A lot of riders got hurt yesterday. There were two major crashes and we wanted to do a little bit of a run through of the injuries from yesterday. We already mentioned Mark Soler and his two broken arms that he rode all the way to the finish. That's all the arms you have, by the way. Bonkers. You don't, you only have two arms. You only got two. So I don't know how he was holding himself upright. I, I really don't. Um, Unless he like grabbed a tree off the ground and shoved it like underneath his armpit and on his bars or something like that. I've seen. That was a thing in time draws at one point. Unbelievable. Aside from Mark Soler, Chris Froome obviously went down pretty hard and went to get some scans after the race. He didn't have any significant injuries and was able to start today. Thank goodness. There was a couple riders, DSM's Casper Pedersen had to get some stitches along with Ben O'Connor from AG2R Citroen and Mark Hershey separated his shoulder. The nearest rider to the Mayo Sabla, Ivan Grundal Jansen, Jansen from Bike Exchange also has some stitches. One of the ones that makes me the most sad because Baltic is Ignatius, Ign- Ignatius, I'm not saying it right. Ignatius Kova. Konovalovas. You nailed it. Ignatius Konovalovas. Who actually was in that second crash, was one of the riders that went into the side of the road and was knocked unconscious. Um, so has severe head trauma. So that that's pretty bad as well. But given the severity of both of those crashes, the fact that this list is only 21 riders long, honestly, is not... I, I would have expected more just given given how many riders went down in both crashes, but that is the list we have so far. A lot of riders also probably have road rash. Yeah, I, mean, I, was, I was I was, honestly, I was expecting more DNSs this morning. Mark Soler was a DNS, um, did not start, but most riders able to continue. Um, you know, we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, you know, Chris Froome made it to the stage, for example. Um, but yeah, I was, I was expecting worse to be perfectly honest and and i guess for now thank goodness that most have been able to to hit the start line hit the finish line and keep going on this tour de france uh i think cyril cyril limon came out one of the worst with four broken ribs a collapsed lung and a cut on his scalp yeah i know two broken arms is pretty pretty bad but mark seller managed to finish he probably has a long uh, lengthy period ahead of him with two broken arms, but those those uh, injuries just sound horrible. Four broken ribs and a collapsed lung. It, like to say, it's a Tour de France. You continue. It's amazing how they get through to the next day with it. Because I'm I'm guessing there's a lot of them with injuries that sort of could go either way. Like if they went home, the D- the DSs managers would be like, yeah, fully understand, and they probably could go home, recoup for the next three weeks, and be ready for the Olympics. So it just shows you how. Yeah, how much bigger the tour is for, like, how much limelight it takes, even though you've got the Olympics there. It's like, this is what we're here for as a bike racer. Takes an awful lot to get anybody to not start the next day. I wonder how many, though, of the injuries that we don't know about. Is there any, like, GC favourites? You know, we had some GC favourites finish two minutes down or something who are maybe carrying injuries and understandably don't want to uh, speak about it or, or don't want to let others know and, and, and expose a weakness it's potentially a few yeah i mean we've basically got the the medical report from the the on-site doctors right and so if 
a rider was able to make it to the finish line without seeing those doctors and then went and got scans or whatever else that evening, we may not know about it. And so, yeah, you're right, Ronan. There, there may be GC contenders that are that are carrying injuries that we don't know about yet. Uh, we're going to find out, right? <laughs> There's a long way to go in this Tour de France. We still have three weeks. And coming up tomorrow is stage three. So before we talk very briefly about the route tomorrow, I think we should hear from Jose. On day three, we ride through the department Morbihan. The Britain name Morbihan means little sea, and the inland sea is quite a spectacular sight to see. This is the department of former French champions Audrey Cordon-Rago, who was born in Pontivy, our Finnish place, and of Varen Barguil, who was born in Hennebon, next to today's start location of Lorient. After 30 kilometers into the race, we pass Carnac. Rows of stones lie side by side, and the stones of Carnac have been there since Neolithic times, and nobody quite knows why. Altogether, there are around 3,000 of them. The rock alignments, the dolmens, a single chamber, Neolithic room, the meniers, a single standing stone, and tumuli, which is a grave mound, together form the largest site of their kind in the world. And many of these stones date back to as early as 4500 BC, though the majority are thought to have been erected around 3300 BC. However, unlike other Neolithic sites, such as Stonehenge in the UK, the rocks were not transported from elsewhere. No, instead, the stones were dug up from under the ground and erected where they were found. And when it comes to their purpose, well, we can only guess or throw in some myths. In the Christian myth, Saint Cornelius is pursued by pagan Roman soldiers. And as he was trapped on all sides, the pagan soldiers were rapidly approaching. Unsure what to do, Cornelius then turns them all to stone, as you do. The other local Celtic language suggests that the stones are Roman soldiers who were turned to stone by the wizard Merlin. After 91 kilometers, we get to Plumelec, a name that you cycling fans might know. It's the site of the French National Cup race, the Grand Prix de Plumelec Morbihan, and the last edition in 2019 was won by Benoit Confroy. This town loves cycling. The city hosted the Tour de France five times before, and Bernard Hinault won the prologue in 1985, beating Erik van der Raade and Stefan Roach. He lost that first yellow jersey to, yellow, to van der Raade and later to Kim Andersen, who's now the sports director at Trek Segafredo. But in the time trial to Strasbourg on day eight, Hinault took back the jersey and brought it to Paris for the fifth and last time. In 2016, Plumelec hosted the European Championships. Up until then, it was an affair for juniors and under-23 riders, but this was the first elite edition, and Peter Sagan and Anna van der Brege took home the jerseys. And then finally, after 121 kilometers, we passed through Radenac, which is the birthplace of Tour de France winner Jean Robic. In episode two, I already described how he won the yellow jersey in the final stage to Paris in 1947. He tragically died in a car crash in 1980, only 59 years of age. His life was an unhappy one after his career, and a room in the little town hall of Radenac is dedicated to his memory as a small museum. 
Well, I love me some Merlin fun facts. The race continues on stage three of the Tour de France from Lorient to Pontivy. Pontivy, yeah. Play- Got the best cycling club in the world there. VC Pontivy. <laughs> it's a little bit lumpy. All right, Shadi, it's your neck of the woods. Tell me about tomorrow's stage. Honestly, it's going to be one. I'm putting it down for, down for the sprinters. Um, there's nothing too challenging like Murder Britain today. It's it's up and down all day. It is, it's going to pull the legs like the past two days. But, yeah, it'll come down to a sprint finish. I'll be very surprised if it doesn't. The first, yeah, sort of 90k of the 180k stage it doesn't really throw much at them. Then it gets a bit lumpy. But there's only two fourth cat climbs and a sprint in there. And any road you're coming to into Pond TV is pretty flat. And it looks like they're coming down the uh, the short but sharp steep climb that throws you into Pond TV. So it's going to be a rapid finish for sure. Picks. 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 We got a first sprint stage. Who's who's the best sprinter of this Tour de France? Who, who do we think it's going to be? I think it's going to be Caleb Ewan. Caleb Ewan. Cable Lewin. Agreed. That's all I got for it. We can't all have Caleb, can we? So I'm going to go Greipel. No, Cav. Let's go with Cav. I'd love Greipel, but yeah, let's go with Cav. I am going to go with a yellow jersey lead out from Matthew Vanderpool and a Tim Merlier win. Mm. That's my... That would be cool. That's a good pick. That'd be pretty like cool, it. right? All right. That's my guess. That's my pick. I just want to point out real quick, this could be like the only stage. Uh, D- Dave, you could have picked a, a Frenchman and an Arnaud Demar here, and, and uh, I'm surprised that you did. But oh. you did you did pick a you know, person who rides for the, the British team. I feel bad now, you're quite right. Time to wrap up for today. We will be back tomorrow for more Tour de France coverage. Thank you so much for listening. A demain.